Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 78th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of the site, and once again, I am Manorino-less. Uh, Al is taking Al's taking a personal day today, and I don't blame him. He's had a rough he's had a rough week, rough week. AK, he's got to bet on the Eagles and Bucks tonight, so that's why he is not here. But I have the best replacement for Al. He is. I wouldn't call him an editor as much as the guru of podcasts on the popbreak.com. He is the man responsible for the plethora of podcasts that appear all over Spotify, Anchor, Google, and Apple podcasts. He is the host of the TV Break podcast and of the Cinema Joe's podcast, Alex Marcus. Welcome back to the show. Not talking about a penultimate episode of a Disney Plus series. Yes, jury duty unfortunately gone in the way of that this time around, but I'm happy to to be here a couple weeks behind schedule. Uh, you know what? Listen, we got a Disney Plus series coming up at the end, right around Thanksgiving time. I didn't even plan that tr- transition, but here we go. Alex and I are going to just be talking a whole bunch, a whole bunch of pop culture themes and, and, and news pieces and just stuff we like. This is kind of a grab bag hangout episode. And the first thing we're going to talk about actually is the Hawkeye trailer, which dropped a few weeks ago. Al and I and a few others had discussed that on our What If We Reviewed What If review series. Yeah, our review series names are really bad and it's intentionally bad. So, Alex, what did you, uh, what were your expectations? What were your hopes, I should say? Are your hopes probably is a better question for the Hawkeye series? before you saw this trailer and what did you think of the trailer in general? Well, and I also, I don't know if you're aware of this bill, but a Probably new trailer not. dropped today. Well, <laughs> I was a little busy today as today was a shit day. Uh, so, you know, fill me in. Yeah. If, well, if you haven't watched it, um, you haven't missed that much because it's basically just a recutting of the first trailer, more or less. There's a couple of extra scenes, uh, bits and pieces of uh, Jeremy Renner getting beaten up by a large group of men and uh, maybe one or two very quick uh, sequences where he and uh, and the uh, incredible uh, Kate Bishop is, are on screen together bantering a little bit. But it's mostly the same trailer, just sort of remixed again. And um, yeah, my thoughts overall is that uh, I'm really excited for it. It seems to have a really fun energy to it. Uh, I've been really looking forward to seeing the introduction of Kate Bishop as as the new Hawkeye for a long time. When everybody kept saying for like a year and a half, oh, why are they making a Hawkeye show? Who wants to watch Hawkeye? He's the most boring Avenger. And I'm like, no, but it's just a backdoor pilot to get a new, more interesting Hawkeye into the MCU. And uh, that's what we're dealing with. And so, yeah, I'm very excited for that. And also, it's loosely based off of this Matt Faction run yeah. uh, in of the which I know you guys have spoken about like, in the past. This Al and, mentions Matt Faction. I'm like, <laughs> sure thing. Sure. Yeah, you got yeah. it, man. And I, and I famously don't read comic books, but uh, if I did, that would definitely be one that I would have read because everyone who has has not shut up about it in the decades since it's been out. Um, and this is kind of really pulling a lot of inspiration from that uh, source material. So that makes me excited as well. Plus, it just has this kind of like fun kind of like 90s throwback to it. At least the trailer does. Definitely. Now, I 
there is the factor of like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier trailers all had this very kind of like buddy cop nineties action movie vibe to it. And then the, the actual <laughs> episodes <laughs> didn't really have nope. that much at all. <laughs> no, I'm a little uh, happy for that, but it was a little more serious. It, it was a little dour at times. Yeah. I'm not at all upset by what we ended up getting from that show, but it is, it is a good kind of warning to not read too much into the marketing material uh, when we are talking about what the show is actually, actually going to end up being but either way it's going to be fun i'm just excited that it's set in new york uh right around the same time as you know all of the spider-man no way home stuff is going to be happening and i'm really curious how those two things will be interacting the show will be running while the release of spider-man no way home will be happening so that will be very interesting to see if it interacts at all you know if we get some sort of uh multiversal uh, stuff in there. Plus, we also know that Florence Pugh's uh, character from Black Widow will be popping up at some point. She gets her mission to assassinate uh, Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye uh, at the end of Black Widow, spoiler alert. So excited for that. That means we also might be getting more Julie Louis-Dreyfus as uh, the Contessa, and I'm, I'm excited for that. Also, the cast is really stacked. Like Vera Farmiga is in this, uh, which is uh, something that uh, an actress who we might be talking about again in a little while. Um, but I'm a huge fan of hers. So, yeah, it's who's just crazy. Su- who's she supposed to be in this? I don't. They haven't released who she's playing, I don't believe. But I know she is in it, weirdly. Um, there's rumors that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin might be in there, which, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that is actually true, but certainly people have been talking about that for a long time. So there's a lot to be excited about. Also, they're debuting this other new superhero called Echo, who is a a deaf Native American uh, female uh, uh, superhero from the comic books who's uh, been around. She was introduced in uh, Daredevil run from a number of years ago, and it's already been uh, soft confirmed that she's going to be getting her own spinoff series out of this show. So I'm really interested to see what they do with that as well. So there's a lot to look forward to, even if you don't like Jeremy Renner. And if you don't like Jeremy Renner, you have a lot of good reason to not like Jeremy Renner. So, <laughs> and you don't, so, don't subscribe to his app. So, there's at least that. Bill, what are your thoughts on this Hawkeye project? I, uh, you know, I was one of those people where I was like, uh, you know what, Hawkeye, probably as a solo project, probably is better suited for series than film. And so, when they're like, oh, we're going to have a Hawkeye series on Disney Plus, I'm like, okay, hey, I'm like, that's the right place for it. Um, I, I am a big fan of, and this is going to sound weird when I say, I'm a big fan of the fact it's happening during Christmas and like, it's like simultaneously going through the Christmas season. So I feel like, yeah, like Falcon and Winter Soldier had that nineties buddy cop thing going on, but this feels like there's going to be a little more, especially with um, Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. I feel like there's going to inherently should be more comedy in it. Whether like good natured, not like just like forced so I'm just like, I'm like, okay, this should be fun. Of course, I can't, we can't talk about this without mentioning Pizza Dog because Al will cry. And of course, we're going to get him in this. And that's going to be, he's going to be, that character will be the baby Yoda of the series. Everyone's going to fall in love with a dog named Pizza Dog because it's it's just science, essentially. Um, yes. But, I, I, you know, when you mentioned um, Vincent D'Onofrio, my first thought was raised to the fact, like, there's been these rumors that Charlie Cox's Daredevil was going to show up in the Spider-Man movie. Could he show up here? Could anyone from the Defenders be showing up here? You know, 
I don't know, like Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, uh, Luke Cage, but like I could see Daredevil, especially if you have the Echo uh, cross, you know, Echo involved in this. I'm not saying they're going to be a big part of it because this could be like a post-credit scene where all of a sudden we get like, here they are, you know. So now we know down the road they're coming in some sort, some semblance or fashion. Um, yeah. I'm excited for Florence Pugh looking- to be in this. That's what I I'm most excited for. I wouldn't be looking for Daredevil in this just because they filmed this mostly in New York and during a time when Charlie Cox was in the UK. Um, so I don't believe, of course it's Marvel. Anything can happen. They could just, you know, shoot his side of a scene and, and just like paste him into you mean like that last something scene later. In, you mean like that last scene in black widow, which is like the whole point <laughs> of that movie. Um, yeah. Or, or like in, um, in uh, Shang-Chi where, you know, there's just it. like a bunch of, Oh, well there's a mid credits. There's a mid credit scene where a bunch of people who are not in the room are getting to pretend to be in the room for five minutes um, talking to nobody. So, so there's that too. So it's it's definitely possible, but I don't I don't necessarily think we should get our hopes up for that. Oh, but I'm, I'm something not. else that somebody that I forgot was going to be in this, and I'm very excited uh, about is um, the one and only Tony Dalton, uh, who, if you watch Better Call Saul, he is uh, sort of the agent of chaos on that show for the last two seasons, uh, playing an antagonist for uh, the Mike and and uh, and Saul characters. So he's he's excellent at being just like a very charismatic uh villainous figure and i'm very excited that he's going to be on the show as well we haven't seen any footage of him so we don't really know what his deal is going to be but he's a very talented actor and i'm very excited to see what he does on the show yeah no okay now i'm like oh well they if you look go to wikipedia they say what his character is going to be and i don't know if i want to ruin that or not Oh, I don't know what it is, so don't tell me. Okay, um, uh, it is a character I've heard of before, so yeah, this is that's definitely going to be very interesting. That uh, do you I watch think, Better Call Saul? I've seen many. Uh, I've seen many episodes out of order. I should say okay. so. I have not gotten to him. I know what character he plays, and I also famously have like never really watched Breaking Bad, but I I watched the last fifteen minutes of the finale, so I know exactly how it ends. Um, I also people don't realize when I post reviews on the site i essentially know what happens in episodes so we had a two years of breaking bad and years of better call saul so i'm pretty caught up on stuff even though i haven't seen it myself um that's how i can talk so much about stuff because i read other (laughs) smart much smarter people's thoughts and that's the service of this of this uh website is that if you don't have time to watch the stuff you can read what we have to say about it or listen to us so you know but exactly but he I, plays for people who don't know. He plays Lalo on Better Call yeah. Saul. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I like the fact that we have some like it. It came off as at times a little breezy. Came off at times just fun. Of course, it's Marvel, so there's going to be some serious stuff. There's going to be some darker stuff. But like, I feel like this one's going to be one of the more fun ones. And uh, I'm wondering if next year this is because we end this show will end and then Book of Boba Fett. Well, sorry, I was just going to call it Book of Boba based off a joke we said before we started recording, which is not about a bubble <laughs> tea drink. The Book yeah. of Boba Fett starts the last week of December. I'm wondering, and you might know better than I do, um, if we're going to be like Star Wars is going to do what Marvel did this year, where we have like every quarter we have a, a series. If we're going to see that in 2022 with Book of Boba Fett, um, Kenobi, and uh, Andar, and then The Mandalorian. Or something yeah, and else. then also the um, Osik 
Tana. Ahsoka Tana, uh, sure. Is that confirmed for 2022? The Star Wars dates are a lot more nebulous. They really haven't been willing to pin things down. There's been, I I believe, the only things that are confirmed for 2022, and we don't know when in 2022, are the Kenobi uh, show and the Andor show. Uh, Mandalorian did get confirmed, too. Oh, right, for the end of the year. Yeah, so I think we know we're at least getting those three. I wouldn't put our hopes up for more than that. We certainly could, but... Well, well, whatchamacallit, um, Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett will essentially go through the first quarter because like that's going to run. Do we know how many episodes that's going to be though? I mean, it, it, no, no series so far has been less than six. So that's, so that'll take us to, to like probably February, mid February. Yeah. Which is when we're expecting to see Miss Marvel. So that kind of makes sense. Could we see Miss Marvel, a North Jersey native, uh, in somehow mixed into Hawkeye? I don't think so, <laughs> but we. I think they were filming at the same time in Stop different parts of the world. So I know, I know that Ms. Marvel was at one point filming in Atlanta, and then they had to move production to uh, Thailand. So while they were, <laughs> that's a hell of a jump. Yeah, there was. I believe part of it was. It's. It's not clear if there's any story reason for it. I know COVID had a big part to do with it. They were having a hard time keeping it in production where it was, and then suddenly they moved to Thailand so they could finish the show in time. So, uh, yeah, I believe that they were shooting in Thailand while Hawkeye was shooting in New York. So I think that would make a crossover difficult. But you know, you never know, as we said. It's just like I thought you were like, oh, it was in Atlanta, then it moved to you know to like Texas, and then it's like no, no, Thailand, Thailand, Thailand. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> Logical geographic jump. Um, mm-hmm. But but She-Hulk is set in New York and is coming after Miss Marvel in the first wow. quarter of next year. And that could maybe get a tease at least in Hawkeye. Oh. I don't know. We'll see. I'm very intrigued by that show. Yeah. I mean, the cast alone is so exciting. I mean, I don't even know who's past Tatiana Maslany and I don't need to. Oh, well, I mean, Renee Elise Goldsberry, number one from Hamilton and uh, oh. Girls 5 Eva. Um, and also uh, Jamila Jamil, who from uh, oh, The Good course. Place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my favorite, uh, Josh Sagara, who uh, Arrow fans might know as um, the guy who had like this very intense homoerotic fixation on Oliver Queen for a season, um, but who many other people might know as the adorable uh, ex-boyfriend of one of the leads of the other two, where he is very, very sweet and funny. Um, and it's he can play very kind of twisted and sadistic, and he can play very kind of sweet and innocent. And I'm very curious to see where he falls in She-Hulk. But either way, he's always very magnetic. Magnetic, I was going to say. So, yeah. So, uh, those are all people that I'm excited to see on, on She-Hulk. Also, we know that um, Tim Roth is reprising his oh, yeah. role as the Abomination for that show. We know that uh, Bruce Banner will be showing up in some capacity, Mark Ruffalo. So, yeah, it's going to be... And we also know that it was at least pitched as a 30-minute law procedural in the vein of Ally McBeal. Um, so... <laughs> That's a lot of different stuff happening, <laughs> and so I'm really excited. <laughs> really excited to see how that shakes out. <laughs> I I forgot that. She, of course, she Hulk's a lawyer. I forgot about that, and then it's just like let's just make it Ally McBeal. Sure, why not? Yeah. You know, I would love it if Clist Flockhart makes a cameo in it. I mean, she is spoken for by Supergirl, so I don't know if she's going to cross over for She Hulk. It's a forbidden door. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. She is she is in the fam in the Disney family though, married to um to Harrison Ford. So yeah. 
never forget the time. Well, she was a Rutgers alum, and I remember she came back to. She was a keynote speaker at one of the graduations before I got uh, before I left, and she came with Harrison Ford. And literally, it was the the headline was "Get off my campus," and it was just a picture of Harrison Ford because Air Force One had just released a few years prior to that. Uh, yeah. Shows you how old I am, um, and shows you how <laughs> shows bad. You how old. Harrison Ford is. <laughs> Crap, you forget how old he is. He's doing Indiana Jones and he's like uh ancient, but yet yeah, still he's turning it. to dust in the end of that uh in new Indiana Jones episode. <laughs> I think he called it Indiana Bones. He's in he's just gonna be he's gonna be bones at the end of the episode. That's it. And we're not yeah. talking about the series with Emily Deschanel, which I was like really into at one point in my life. Um everyone had a bones phase. We did. We all had a bones phase. Uh, I had a friend who used to just go to Barnes and Nobles and buy the DVDs of like the box set for the seasons. And that's how she watched it. And she was obsessed with doing it that way. And it was so expensive. <laughs> Very expensive. First off, as a former Barnes and Noble employee, we yeah. were singular, not plural. I had to always remind people of that, but yeah, we did go a deep cut interview on the site. We did interview Emily Deschanel back when Fox used to like us. We, and they used to do round tables. Emily Deschanel is on the site. Find it out. It was for the cool. final season of Bones, I believe. Um, but one cool thing I love about Fall, because we're getting this cool Hawkeye series that we're you and I are both excited for. We're going to do a weekly review series of it. And I don't want to step on you, but we're I totally do want to just say, I don't care. When I watched the trailer for the first time a few weeks ago, my very first thought was, "Oh my god, I need to know what Bill thinks about this because oh, this seems it. like such a Bill show." Oh, it's and totally I don't even know why. I don't even know why, but it just really felt like a Bill show to me. It it. Like you wouldn't believe how many people about so many different things. So like this felt like a you thing, and I'm just like, <laughs> you're right. Although like, the- I know I know that you're a happily married dad of one, but you have kind of like a like a haphazard divorced dad energy to you sometimes, and that's Fuck, what this that's show that. is definitely definitely vibing off of. I'm glad I give off a divorced vibe. No, but like, no, but like the kind of divorced dad vibe in like a, in like a 90s movie where like he gets back with his wife at the end. And it's like, his wife never stopped loving him. He he just needed to get his shit together. And now he finally did. And then he just like got rid of the, the lame uh, boyfriend of his ex-wife. And now he's like won his whole family back by the end of the movie. Basically you're like Bruce Willis is what I'm saying. I like when 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 Bruce Willis cared. Yes. Look scared about acting. Uh, but yeah, I know I do have that. I just my wife is really nice and just stays with me. So, you know, <laughs> I just I haven't gotten my shit together in 11 years. So um, what can I tell you? Uh, but uh, I did love it. I did love it. I was just I watched it. I'm like, oh, this is so nice. I just, you know, this is a nice Thanksgiving gift for me. I'm going to watch this yeah. and enjoy it. And we will review it on the, on this podcast. Alex, of course, will be on the next to last episode because that's yes. how we roll. Um, but one of the cool things about the fall is we always get these great movies coming out. And you reminded me of a movie that I was very excited for. And I had no idea when it was coming out. And I just saw the tr- poster for it. Because I went to the movies twice this weekend. I saw No Time to Die, which this was originally going to be a No Time to Die podcast. And uh, I saw Adam's Family too. <laughs> oh, okay. My daughter to see it on Monday. Uh, that was that was a film, all right. And um, it was the French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson film, of yes. course, which was delayed because of COVID. I just rewatched the trailer for the first time in probably six to eight months. And my God. I say this about most Wes Anderson films, but that's the most Wes Anderson trailer I have ever seen since the Grand Budapest Hotel. Probably, I am. <laughs> so, Alex, what's your relate? Are you a big Wes Anderson fan? 
I am a pretty big Wes Anderson fan. He's a guy who I kind of kept at arm's length for a while when I was in high school because it was not cool to like Wes Anderson during that period of time because it was oh, kind of like, oh, he's so Wes Anderson-y. But in, in college, truth, college, if you were in college at that time, it would it would have been a warm blanket you would envelop yourself with. <laughs> Well, this is this is kind of like the Darjeeling Unlimited kind of era of Wes Anderson is like when oh, I was in high school. Yeah. So the not not his most, um, you know, not his finest moment. But he's a filmmaker who I genuinely really love. One of my first all time favorite movies was The Royal Tannenbaums Same. that I got my mom to bring me to that in theaters. I was like 11 years old. Why I wanted to see it, I still don't really know, but I I did and I was I fell in love with it immediately. It was my favorite movie for so long, like until I basically it was my favorite movie until The Social Network when then that became my favorite oh, movie. Yeah. So, I have a I have a really fond, strong fondness for him, but it took me a while to catch up on a lot of his other stuff because he had kind of this sort of reputation for a while of like, oh, he's just so Wes Anderson and it's kind of like off-putting but you know what i've watched all of his films now except for the Darjeeling unlimited because i was gonna have to pay money to rent it and i just really didn't want to because of its reputation but outside of that i've seen all of his films now and i really really enjoy them all if you're curious you can go check out my letterboxd uh director showcase list of um of films i have a ranked list of all of wes anderson's movies over on my lists section uh at my uh letterbox account which is at media thinkings so definitely check that out over there if you're curious um but yeah i, I love all of his stuff um like i watched moonrise kingdom for the first time um, a month ago and that is yeah. just so charming and excellent and subversive and really uh, in ways that you don't expect like they kill a dog uh, trigger warning um and uh, and it's the most adorable dog also <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's great. Um, and yeah, what is your what is your relationship with uh, Wes Anderson? So uh, you know, I went to college in the early two thousands, and that's when you know the Royal Tenenbaums became like became. It was that movie when you were in college that you became obsessed with as a college student. And for me, I always relate the Royal Tenenbaums um, to Christmas. Like to me, it's a Christmas film, even though it's not a Christmas film. Well, it's a um, dysfunctional family film, so yeah. I get it just Christmas vibes. Always, because it also came out uh, around that time, I believe. It came out, like, or at least started getting that buzz in, like, December-ish award season, and that's when I first heard about it. And uh, I have watched the movie so many times, and I love going back to it because there's such intricate detail in there, and, like, I love the out of time the timelessness of it like is it the 70s is it now like when is this <laughs> happening i have no idea and uh like i liked uh you know then i went back and watched you know rushmore and then rush because tenenbaums became so popular rushmore regained popularity and i wasn't a huge bottle rocket guy myself i can say like it's it's a perfectly good movie but i i'm not like oh i have to go back and watch it um you know, Life Aquatic was one of those where it was like his follow-up to Royal Tenenbaums. I remember watching it the first time. I'm like, ah, that was fine. And then I then later on in life go back to it. I'm like, wow, this is great. Darjeeling, I remember driving from Red Bank, New Jersey to New York, which was the only place playing with my best friend. And we drove to the city and we watched it. And it's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Is it his <laughs> best movie? No. The soundtrack's incredible. I love it. But it's a, definitely an interesting movie you should watch. And uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, love it. 
Moonrise. The only one I haven't seen is Isle of Dogs. I haven't. I've seen parts of it. Haven't watched it all the way through. It's my least favorite of his, um, which is not to say it's a bad movie, but it just kind of doesn't really come together for me very well. But it's got a lot of like very good individual moments. Uh, Yoko Ono has a surprisingly large role. (laughs) Yoko Ono, who we've shot on thepopbreak.com. Just got to keep these cheap plugs going in so people go to the site. But I love Grand Budapest. In fact, propping up my computer right now is a a like book of art for Grand Budapest and Wes Anderson. Oh, nice. Me, the French Dispatch really reminds me a lot of ways of Grand Budapest. Just this sprawling cast. Um, there's a scene where there's a big shootout. I'm like, wow, that reminds me exactly of the shootout scene <laughs> in Grand Budapest, which is such an absurd moment. And there's, I love the fact he keeps bringing back like his his people and they're all coming from different movies of course bill murray's in it so it's like they keep coming in and he keeps it has his like retinue like his um his company of actors and it's fantastic and this just looks so fun i don't know what this is about i know this is about a newspaper so immediately i'm drawn to it but it's just so <laughs> widespread and wild i'm just like i don't care i'm in for the ride let's go well, it's. I'll give you a little bit of context for what it's about because Good, it's, because I watched the trailer on my phone while Jeopardy was in the background and had a kid jumping on me. So sure. So it's an anthology film. It's gonna. It has a series of vignettes of anthologies, and it's it's the whole premise of the film is that it's designed to be like a mid-century issue of the New Yorker, um, and. Be, like it's just the most pretentious thing you could imagine, but it's I, just like it's I'm who else? So what else do you want Wes Anderson to do? I'm so <laughs> here for it. I like the fact that you said I'm like God. It, it just because when you say the New Yorker and you look at how it's shot, I'm like, oh yeah, totally. I just totally that did not click immediately, but I love that. Yeah, like like um, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Wright is playing a James Baldwin inspired character, for example. A lot of these characters are loose, very loosely based off of the kind of like '60s era New Yorker um, staff, which is kind of like a historic sort of incredibly notable staff for journalism. Uh, and it's just a series of vignettes. Uh, some of them are shot in black and white. Some of them are shot in color. Some of them kind of apparently flip back and forth between black and white and color. Um, and yeah, that's, and it's just, it has like an incredible cast, the level of people in the movie who apparently just have like a one scene and like, don't, and then like nothing. And you could have made a whole movie about these people, um, is just cr- incredible. It really is just him like at the height of his power, just throwing his weight around in a way that only Wes Anderson can. And I'm so excited to see it in theaters next we, weekend. Yeah. I, it's when you see the trailer, like they have, he goes through the cast and you see like Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, Francis McDormand. Then there is a couple like quick cuts of the cast and you'll see Edward Norton, Willem Dafoe, who probably have just small roles, but I'm sure they're all incredible, man. And that's, yeah. I mean, can I just go through some of the people? I would love it. So Leia Sadu, who you just recently saw in uh, No Time to Die. Who is actually, I have to say, if you saw Spectre and you're like, ugh, I didn't like her in that much, her character is much better, well-written, well-rounded, and much more interesting in this, probably because uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was involved in writing the script. So I'm <laughs> sure, because Daniel Craig's like, hey, guys, 
let's 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 bring her in. She knows what she's yeah, doing. Because because Daniel Craig is married to Rachel Weiss, so he respects women, and uh, you gotta you, you gotta imagine but that that had some Rachel Weiss, my high school, like a high school heartthrob for me, and still to this day. <laughs> Not in this movie, though, but um, other people who are, uh, (laughs) like, have you ever wanted to see Timothy Chalamet and uh, Francis McDormand in a torrid, uh, repressed love affair? Because that's what you're going to get in this movie. Um, Timothy Chalamet, I just can't, like, he gets to uh, make out with uh, Francis McDormand, Jennifer Lawrence, and Zendaya in the same fall film calendar he's got three movies those are her, his three romantic pairings and that's like uh, you got to respect the range <laughs> game respects game that's yeah like, as the kids uh, would say no <laughs> other people include uh christoph waltz owen wilson jeffrey wright saoirse ronan adrian brody elizabeth moss tilda swinton lev shriver william defoe uh, Edward Norton, Angelica Houston, Bill Murray, Rupert Friend, Benicio Del Toro, as I said, Francis McDormand, Fisher Stevens, Henry Winkler, Jason Schwartzman, Alex Lothar, uh, Griffin Dunn, Bob Balaban, of course, Lois Smith, Tony Revilori, of course. It's just like it goes on and on and on. And it's just so like, how is there even good? Is this movie four hours long? It is not, but it is. I'm really excited to see it i'm excited to see it i'm so excited that it comes out the same day as dune i get to do two timmy movies oh, back to back we will right. be covering because i'm like who the hell is he even been sa- <laughs> what is he doing with zendaya that i was like oh dune yeah fuck dune yeah oh dune i'm, I'm in i'm in um <laughs> so we will be covering both of these movies, Dune and uh, The Fresh James Batch, on my film podcast, Cinema Joe's. Uh, that episode's going to be coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. Very excited. Wait, is it a, it's a, both of those on one episode? Both of those in one episode. It's our Timmy, Tim, Timmy special. We're very excited. By we, I mean me. I made them do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Timmy special. That's great. Do for the price of one, Timmy, you got to go for it. I mean, uh, when else are we going to have this opportunity? Allison, I was going to make a Chalamet joke. Well, you Chalamet do it. Uh, it it was bad. It was bad. The joke wasn't I mean, there. I tried. It to sounds like it. something that Timothy may say in the upcoming Wonka, which is which we are anticipating for twenty twenty three. Yeah, we did. <sighs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Did you get? Uh, since this is a freewheeling discussion, did you see the? Did you see the? Um, the still, the production still from Wonka. God, I saw the still and there's like 9,000 retweets, retweets about hot Willy Wonka. And I'm just like, everyone's like, hey, Gene Wilder was there. He did it first. But did I'm you like, see that he's in the exact same costume as um, uh, what's it called from uh, the Muppets? Um, Gonzo. He's in the exact same costume as Gonzo from the Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I'm going to talk about the Muppets later because you saw I reviewed them. So, uh, yes. but it was better than you thought. Uh, but uh, Timothy Chalamet, like I saw him in this, I'm just like, has Timothy Chalamet really done sort of like straight up comedy before? Um. Well, he hosted SNL very successfully last True, year. Did oh, that was very good. That was yeah. very good. If you uh, if you didn't see it, just log on to Tumblr and you're bound to see a million stills and clips from. <laughs> yeah he did a, he did a, yeah there's a couple of good ones from from uh from there's the, that one where he has a tiny horse and he has there's the whole music video where he's the tiny i horse. saw the one where he was the tiktok rapper that was pretty good sure that was also good he also played coronavirus in in a sketch and that was just, it was like he was like the the like it was a whole family of coronaviruses and he was like the black sheep of the family um disappointing them 
that was yeah. that was an interesting choice. Can't say that's a run, don't walk type thing for me, <laughs> you know. But but the French Dispatch is because of course yeah. I, I I gotta I gotta <laughs> I gotta try and find babysitting again. That's not streaming anywhere, is it? It's just gonna be streaming. No, right it's not streaming. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a searchlight uh, film, so it's gonna be released in theaters, and then it will eventually end up on Hulu, most likely. But I don't know exactly what the distribution plan is for that. Oh, searchlight. Man. Searchlight movies end up on Hulu eventually, but cannot wait. You should, that, you that should see it in theaters. Oh, I want to. I've seen outside of Isle of Dogs. I think I have seen all of Wes Anderson's films post uh, Ten of Bombs in theaters. And I, I saw Isle of Dogs and Ready Player One alone on the same night on my birthday, and that was a really rough birthday for me. <laughs> I, want to, I want to give you a hug. Thank you. I, I left my family who was having a very nice birthday party. I was like, I'm going to do something nice for myself now. And then I went and saw those two fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I think I've only seen two movies by myself. I went to see oh, one. Highly I, recommend. You should see movies by yourself all the time. I mean, I, I am married to a woman who loves to go to the movies. So I'm like, that's kind of hard for me. But uh I, I saw because I lost power in my apartment. So I'm like, I'm just going to go to the movies. The only movie playing was Blades of Glory. Oh, I regret everything yeah. about that. And that wasn't I, the one to see. No, but it was the only one at the time to see. And I think that was it. Or maybe I saw a second showing of Hot Fuzz by myself. Wow, really? I see movies by myself all the time. I little information about me is that I went to college in New York City, and um, when I school, what's that? Where'd you go? I went to Fordham University, but I went to their uh, Manhattan campus. They have their main Uh, campus is in the Bronx. I I got into the Manhattan campus myself. Uh, and my, and how was your television service? Because that's what my real life job, we supplied your television and internet. So you're welcome. I mean, I only had TV one, one year, um, but the cable worked great for my, for my computer. So. But, uh, I know my friend, like all my closest friends went to Lincoln center. So I am very familiar with okay. that. Well, so then if you're very familiar, you'll know that it is walking distance from not one, but three movie theaters. Um, and so I started going when I was when I was living there because it was just a thing to do when you had nothing else to do. And New York City has so many great films that don't play other places as well. So I got in the habit of doing it then. And I was like, why doesn't everyone do this? Because the act of watching a film is sitting quietly in a theater and looking at a screen. So why do you need to do that next to somebody? So then I started doing it all the time. And it's it's really good. Uh, I recommend going to a movie by yourself and then meeting someone else afterwards and talking about a movie with them because that is a better experience. Did you go to the film cafe right around that area? It was a bar. It was a it was a the bar film, called the yeah. Film Cafe. I thought it was a cinema. Oh cafe. no, I never went to that. Uh, I don't know if that was around when I was there. So when I was when I was a college age kid, there was a film. It was called the Film Cafe. The film cafe and it was a bar and you would go and all your light you, know, you would get these little booths and they were all dramatically lit with this little spotlight and they had all this stuff around it it was so cool it was like dark but fun and you could hang out and then it got all very then someone bought it and glammed it up and made it very corporate and you had to pay like 12 dollars for a beer and i was like I'm never coming okay. back i um, think that that was all before my time unfortunately probably because as we've established on this podcast 
old as fuck. So when I was uh, in New York City, the, it was all the rage to dress up like you were in the 1920s and go to quote unquote speakeasies like the Great Gatsby. Um, that oh, was yeah. I remember those that times. Was a very popular that, thing to do. Everyone was wearing <laughs> stetsons and vests, and bands were using the banjo instead of keyboards. So, yep, I remember that time very well. Uh, <laughs> I was getting married at that time, uh, so. Alex, steer me, steer me in a path here. We're, we're going on some movies. You talked about Dune earlier, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Are you excited for Dune? Because I'm, I'm like cautiously optimistic because Dune has been like its lore of being the unfilmable uh, source material. The David Lynch film is a hot mess in the best <laughs> ways possible. Um, yeah, 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 it is. I mean, what's your, um, I, how, how are you? Because I, I don't know how to feel. Like, I'm going to watch it. But I'm like cautiously optimistic. So I think I'm helped by the fact that I know some, I haven't read in detail reviews, but I have heard uh, film critics react to this film for over two months now. So I have yeah, a little bit yeah. of context for what to expect. I think that is good, especially, um, and this is something that all of our listeners should be aware of, is that it's actually only half of a movie. Uh, the, the movie stops right in the middle and then you're like and expecting dune 2 which hasn't even actually been um greenlit yet so they kind of uh, they just decided that they were not it was too much to adapt and so they were only going to adapt half of it but they didn't tell anybody that uh in the pre-marketing material i didn't even know that happened. calling it dune part one oh. yeah yeah so it's only the first half of the book um and it's just it's really just half of dune so that I think is important to know. Um, I watched Dune for the very first time, the 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 um, original version. Uh, God bless you. Last year with some friends, um, it was wild. Um, it was a lot. Uh, it was not what I expected, and yet, um, like both better and worse than I expected. I guess uh, it just was like a lot to deal with. Um, and <laughs> and so, what am I expecting from this? I really don't know. I'm not a huge uh, Denny Villeneuve fan. Um, as what? people who follow me I might know that. Thought you yeah. would. I thought you would be. Fab. It's one of my big contrarian takes, honestly, is I just find him very kind of uh, self-important and there's just like pomposity to his like, can you believe how important this is? And it's just like, I don't know. It's like it's very repressive to me. Um, and and I, it really rubs me the wrong way. I think that he's made some good films. Um, but almost none of them are because of him, I guess if you'd say like arrival. I love arrival is yeah. a fantastic film. Great. It's really, really good. It is the least guilty of an, of like all of the things that I hate about most of his movies. So, you know, like for instance, a blade runner 2049 is an incredibly great film to look at. It, uh, it looks, it looks like it was, it Funny. looks impossible. It looks like an impossible film yeah. when you see some of the imagery and Roger Deakins, uh, very, very uh, richly deserved the Oscar that he won for that movie. But uh, it also is just kind of insufferable. It has so, it's so self-important and so kind of like, can you believe what if, what if we were people like, what if, what if robots were people and people were robots and what does it even matter? And then like Ryan Gosling is crying and it's just like, get over yourself, dude, like relax. His jacket just, was so good. I just can't. I just, and like the whole thing where like they just like did a remake of her for 15 minutes for some reason, like in the middle of that movie. And just like, I don't know, not my bag. It's, you could, if you want to listen to me in depth, we did a episode on Simajos about Blade Runner 49 um, many, many years ago where I was 
<laughs> very much the least favorable of it in that. Um, yeah, I also like also Z- Sicario is an episode, is a it. film that I don't really like the way that everyone else does. It has a very kind of stupid message in my opinion of like the border is so toxic. Can you believe it? It's like, yeah, I know it is no, like, thank no, you. No. <laughs> it's just, very it's very, aware. I feel very, I feel very patronized by his movies. I don't know. But yeah, so so that is also a thing with Dune. But the cast is incredible. Um, it's so interesting to see this collection of people. And um, yeah, I'm so I'm curious. I'm not optimistic, yeah. but I am curious. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it, but I'm not expecting to love it. And I think that's probably a good place to be in. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. It's just like, I actually like, I loved Blade Runner 2049. You can listen to me gush about it on a podcast many, many years ago with our former film editor, Dan Cohen, uh, who also gushed about it. And basically a lot of it was Roger Deakins. God damn it. He's so good. And I mean, for years, he and I on Oscar podcasts railed about why hasn't Roger Deakins won an Oscar? And then he did. Um, But like you just be due to the history of Dune and you're just like, all right, great cast. I like the director. But I'm going to cautiously go into it. We'll see. I, I believe we're going to get Alicia Weinberger to talk about this because she has been amped for this forever. Uh, but let's let's go from the big screen to the small screen. Um, you recently took upon an, an improbable New Jersey journey <laughs> through television history, and you watched The Sopranos in three weeks prior to The Many Saints of Newark. Um Everyone knows me. Who knows me is like, oh, you're pretty much a New Jersey guy, Bill. I never watched The Sopranos. I didn't have HBO when it was on. And I tried watching a few episodes. I'm like, God, this is fine. I'll get back to it. And I never did, Um, which is like the story of my life. I start something on a TV show and I never watch it. Heels, stars, show about wrestling. I watched the one episode and every Sunday I had something to do. You never finished it? I never got past episode one. I'm going to do it. I, I Bill, kinda, if there was ever a show that I, was literally Alex, made for Alex, you, like, come I, on. Like, literally the show debuts. There's a wrestling pay-per-view the next weekend, which trumped all. Then I had to cover two music, like, I cover music festival. Uh, and then I had to do all this other stuff. And then I just got so behind. So it's only eight episodes. I'm going to catch up with it. I, I kind of know how it ends. Uh, so <laughs> I will catch up to it. But that's not neither here nor there. It's just Alex is always like, why don't you finish shows? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> the only show you finished in the last year was The Bad Batch, which had like a million episodes. Uh, I, I, had to, I, did that, I did that out of spite to myself because I'm like, you you got halfway through it. You have to finish it. I have finished other shows that we've reviewed on this podcast. But so The Sopranos, you watched it for the first time in three weeks. Second time for the second time. Oh, wait, you've seen it before. I did. When I graduated from college, I was briefly unemployed for three months, and I watched all of The Sopranos then, um, along with The Wire and Six Feet Under. I kind of just like caught up on a, some, a friend of mine uh, lent me his HBO Go subscription at the time. Oh, um, that was a thing. Sta- Statute of limitations. Um, I don't know, uh, but so and I just kind of caught up. I just caught up on all of like the golden age era of sure. HBO while I had literally nothing else to do. Um, but that was now many many years ago because even though you're old, uh, I am too. I guess. Um, so you're old. well, unlike unlike 
you like you you're always gainfully employed where i go through spurts um <laughs> we've talked about this before that's all but yeah so that was that was way back in 2013 um worse <laughs> yeah the spring of 2013 as well so a long long time ago at this point uh and so i decided that with on the eve of the many saints of newark uh coming out the sopranos prequel film uh i thought you know what i really should revisit this show yeah. with a you know a more grown-up uh, sensibility about myself you know i've lived and i've learned over the last seven or eight years and i think it's appropriate that i give it another look because at the time i liked it i could see why people um respected it so much but i definitely liked it less than some of the other shows that it was often talked about uh in the same conversation as like the wire or that or breaking bad or mad men so that is, uh, but so that's another reason why it's, I wanted to check it out again. And when I did, um, I just kind of plowed through it. I watched it all in three and a half weeks. <laughs> um, my goal originally was to try to watch it ahead of the, like by the time that the many scenes of Newark came out. Ultimately, um, I ended up finishing it on like the Wednesday after it came out. So I, I failed my quest, but it's still, uh, I feel like I should be proud of that feat. Um, mostly because it completely destroyed my, um, mental health because it is a very toxic space to be, oh, um, inside yeah. of for, uh, that concentrated amount. <laughs> But so did your uh, opinion change on The Sopranos from 2013? Yeah, it absolutely did. I definitely can appreciate a lot more of what people saw as interesting back then. I think that uh, it's a lot more subversive than I gave it credit for initially. Um, and just the, it's a lot funnier than I remembered it being, which is something that I think is important. Um, and I think at the time I was just very invested in this idea of like, whether or not the show was being, uh, had the proper morality to it, right? There's just so much conversation for the Sopranos about what, like the show's fans misunderstood it. And actually these people are terrible and all this stuff. And I think I was really caught up in that kind of discourse and now watching it, I just, see it as more like uh, in less black and white terms and less concerned with what other people may think about it and more just taking it for what it actually was, uh, which is an incredibly rich and compelling uh, document of what self-delusion and just base desire looks like in a middle-aged uh, group of men, basically. Um, and also, um, Edie Falco as Carmela Soprano is like the best thing about the show. And she's really, really fantastic. She's my favorite character. Um, James Gandolfini definitely probably gives the best performance, but I definitely really liked it. Also, I will have, I will say, and I've heard this from other people as well who recently rewatched it um, as a little bit of an older, more mature person. Right. Um, that AJ Soprano arc, Tony's son, uh, works way better on rewatch, I think, because you really see the parallels that that Chase, David Chase, creator of Sopranos, is drawing between him and uh, the Tony character and just the ways in which the series ultimately becomes about the ways in which this family has really kind of set up the next generation to completely fail because they're so incapable of seeing past themselves and their own base impulses. And they're just so wrapped up in justification and uh, just trying to fool themselves into thinking that they are the people that they want to be when really they don't want to be those people. They want to be who they actually are. They just want to have a justification that helps them sleep at night. Um, And that I think was the biggest insight that I took out of the show the second time around. 
around. And it's just really, really fantastic. Let me be a father for a second. So, Ladies and gentlemen, Sophie Bodkin in the background. That's an early <laughs> throwback to the earlier episodes. Um, what did so the one thing people like one thing people talk about because one of the things that came out during this fall season, which I did not throw us on it, but it just reminded me of it, was we had the trailer for the new Game of Thrones series. Yes, and, every, and everyone talks about like, oh, Game of Thrones, it's a great series, but the ending we don't talk about Game of Thrones anymore, but we talk about the Sopranos ending constantly. People yeah. still debate, is that a good or bad ending? I trust your opinions on most things. Actually, I trust your opinion on everything. What, um, what don't you trust my opinion on? Is it wrestling? Because that would be a fair. You shouldn't trust my opinion on wrestling. That's exactly. <laughs> it's like wrestling, football, and that's it. Um, you know, everything else I completely trust you on. Spirituality. Television. Danny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Actually, that's, that's actually, I don't trust you there. No, I just, I don't agree. Have you that. ever seen Enemy, by the way? His first English language <sighs> film? My, uh, my, my brother-in-law tells me about it all the time. I'm just like, yeah, I'll throw them a list of 7,000 things I got to watch. I, I absolutely don't watch it. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. It's such a stupid <laughs> movie. Like, <laughs> the fact he recommended it and you didn't, <laughs> I'm definitely not, not going to watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, what did you think about the finale, the final moments well, that have been so talked about for generations at this point? It's so, years, so I think it's important when you're watching the finale, when you're talking about the finale to talk about it in the context of the final season of the show, first of yeah. all, which oftentimes gets overlooked, especially by its more less engaged fans. Um, and there were many less engaged fans of, of The Sopranos. <laughs> by but that time, the, yeah. the, I think that the final season of the show is is definitely the best season of the show. I think it's a masterpiece in and of itself of just kind of uh, ruminations on regret and grief and aging and the relentlessness of being alive. Um, and all of that ends up boiling down into this absolute perfect final sequence, which is all about getting inside of Tony's head and seeing the world from his perspective and seeing the way in which like the big question is, oh, did he die? Like, did was he killed? Did nothing happen? Like, what's because it's because if you haven't for some reason found out what the deal is with that, uh, it basically the screen cuts to black before there's this incredible buildup of tension over the course of like a solid two minutes <laughs> where yeah. it just is like building and building and building. You're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then it just cuts to black. And many people have interpreted that as it cuts to black because Tony is killed and that's why it's cut to black. Um, but I think that it's probably the critics that I respect a lot um, who I've read about this kind of feel that it's more a sense of it cuts to black because Tony uh, as a character is living inside of that tension now for basically the rest of his life, right? There's, he is stuck. He is at the top of this, of this criminal empire, right? He is at the top of this family. Um, and it means that he has this target on his back. The whole series, the whole series in some respects has been about this, but the final season very much has been about this, that he has this target on his back where he is either going to get killed by an, by a rival or is he, he's going to get arrested by, by the federal government, or he is just going to die of natural causes like some of the other people in his life. And regardless, he is going to have to have this kind of tension of like looking over his shoulder, never feeling secure in what he has, what he has built, because what he has built has been built on this foundation of lies and deceit 
end criminality. And so therefore the ending is all about like living in that moment forever because that's what his reality will be. It's not about will he die because the whole season has been about that everyone ages and everyone dies. You might get killed by your best friend. You might get killed because you get dementia in prison and have to live out your life not knowing who you are. There's a million different ways you're going to go, but age catches up to everyone and takes you out. And what do you have to show for it when your life has been all about just greed and base impulses and not actually building anything that actually matters? Not your family, not your career, not you as a person, as a human being. You've built nothing. Everything that you have is just a pile of ash underneath your feet. So what are you going to do with that at the end of the day? That's poetry right there, bro. (laughs) That's a, that's a highfalutin Fordham degree right there. Uh, but no, I, I, I agree. It's just like, it doesn't matter what the ending is because no matter what, whether he's killed then or he's now, like you're saying, it's that constant fear. It's like, it's going to happen some way. His An emptiness. It's, an yeah. He's, and it's like, he's letting that fear define him because he has nothing else to define him because his life is a black hole. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Oh, so anyway, short review. Did you like Many Saints of Newark? I've heard nothing but bad things about Many Saints of Newark. I thought that as an actual film, it doesn't really work very well because yeah. it not I heard, like, like it the basically first and last scenes are good. As well, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is that the stuff about the Sopranos, like that are actually like about the characters that we know, you get quick hits of them. You get a couple of small scenes here and there throughout the show. And those are just so incredibly well done. Like Vera Farmiga channeling Nancy Marshawn as Livia Soprano, Tony's mom is just remarkable. Uh, Corey Stoll um, as junior Soprano is just remarkable. Michael Gandolfini as James Gandolfini like is remarkable and the way that they bounce off each other is so excellent. Um, and it just, it's not necessary for, for watching the series, but it just brings out so much life and fills in so many gaps that aren't really questions, but it just makes more vivid what you already knew. And so as a fan of the Sopranos, I think that you should watch it, but as a film, the, the there's a lot of other stuff going on in the film that just don't really amount to very much of anything. Like the the Dickie Maltesanto character, who is yeah. kind of the the main character of the film, is this kind of person who has kind of has weighed really large over the history of the Sopranos that we've seen because he's this character who died well before the series started and he's sort of this mythic figure that just exists in people's imaginations so getting to see him should be a very rich and interesting experience but instead he's just a very kind of one note one dimensional version of things that we've already seen on the Sopranos um and so that is a really big letdown uh Alexander Navarro who is really great he's if you've ever seen um (laughs) <laughs> I well, no. I haven't seen that. So what? Say you, no. But you haven't seen Face Off. I I mean, Bill. I was like five when that movie came out. I was uh, not. I have not gone back to you, check it out. You have to watch Face Off. I just want to hear your react. Even if we never podcast about it, I feel like I don't friend, have to watch. Face no, off. You, no. First off, <laughs> you do need to watch Face Off. You will appreciate it, and you'll either love it. Or be like, this is the most ridiculous thing, and there's certain lines from this movie I will quote forever because it's so ridiculous. Um, I need you to watch Face Off. I can't I make any promises, but watch. Alex, 
Invite I've me over to your house and I'll watch it with you. How about that? Okay. I mean, I don't have it. I don't have a DVD player anymore, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> what are you doing on the day before Halloween? I'm doing a birthday party for my kid. Let's go. Uh, but okay. So the other question I have for you is, and I like to, cause I'm thinking New Jersey gangster stuff. Oh, and also wait, hold on. I just want to one last thing about watch the many scenes of Newark. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is also in the film, and he's kind of pres- like from Hamilton and and oh, uh, you know Jesus Christ superstar and all the rest. And everywhere um, in the world at this point, including yes, and he, Needle in a Time Stack. I New- I mean, can we just for a second talk about how insane that title is for a movie? <laughs> like I saw the tra- someone put it, put a tweet out and said, "Why I'm not going to tell you the name of the movie? Watch the trailer." And I'm like, "Okay, this is a pretty wild trailer," and it's like needle in a time stack i'm like who thought that was a good idea it's just it's absurd like i just it's absurd that's um, the name of this podcast it's the needle in time <laughs> podcast but in any case two last things um if you want to watch a movie that alexander navarro is excellent in that is also a very good film you should watch disobedience which also stars rachel mcadams and the aforementioned uh rachel vice um it's really um incredible it's about like these two it's about this community of of orthodox uh, jewish people and the the one of the main um religious figures uh passes away and their daughter uh comes back to town and she has a past with uh, rachel mcadams character and it's really it's it's riveting and it's like very emotionally uh powerful and alexander nivola by the way it's on navarro yes Oh, I am, am I like saying a, Navarro? Oh, yeah, sorry. That's, I'm like, like that's Dave like, Navarro from... That's like a good name Navarro, <laughs> of course, from Ink Masters. Why not? Not even in saying yeah. he's from a band. I'm saying he's from a bad reality show. He's he's from Carmen Electra. That's I, that's what I was going to say. Great. Like <laughs> right? Great. They together. Great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, so, yeah. So he's really good in that instead. Definitely watch that instead of Many Saints of Newark if you're not a big Sopranos fan. And also, Leslie Odom Jr. is a very talented actor. He is... Yeah good in this movie he has nothing to do in this movie the movie ultimately forgets about him altogether his plot like weirdly doesn't even get resolved at all in a meaningful way Um, so much so that people think like oh maybe they're teasing for a sequel and i'm like i don't think so i think they just kind of fucked up but um (laughs) in any case yeah that was a that's a that's a bummer so um that's all i have to say about the many scenes oh oh and also also one last thing a lot of people have been giving one performer a really tough time and about their performance in this movie. And I just really think that they're being very unfair and unreasonable and they are not appreciating what was maybe one of the best performances in the entire show, uh, in the entire movie rather, and maybe one of the best performances of the year. And this is um, a character who many people might know was originally played by Stevie Van Zandt, um, who is oh, no. uh, the uh, famous guitarist, right? Or keyboardist. I don't know. He was, okay. he's part so of the E Street Band, the he's boss. For the Band. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. He played, he played the, he played a character called Silvio yeah. um, in The Sopranos. Um, he is a weirdly important person in the show. Um, he gives, one of the all-time most cartoonishly bad performances that have ever existed in the history of television. It weirdly works well within the context of The Sopranos because this world is just so cartoonish in a lot of ways. So it works, but it is a truly terrible cartoonish performance. And John Magaro, who is a great actor, channels Stevie Van Zandt 
absolutely perfectly on in this movie, The Many Saints of Newark, as Silvio, as a young Silvio. And everybody is clowning on him, saying, oh my god, he's just like a cartoon character. It's like he's right out of this, as an SNL sketch or something. It's like, have you seen Stevie Van Zandt act? Because if you have, you know that he is perfectly capturing this person. And it's like, what is he supposed to do? Like, be an, act- be an entirely different character? The character is canonically cartoonish. So you have to play a canonically cartoonish person. And he does a great job. And I won't hear, I won't stand to hear anything else about it. Of course, Steve Van Zandt, one of the stars of the first, uh, stars of one of the first Netflix original series. The oh. first Netflix series, Lily Hammer. Copenhagen? Lily Hammer. <laughs> Lily Hammer. I know it was one of the major nor- <laughs> major Scandinavian towns out there. Yes. But, Copenhagen uh, was a was a very not great indie from around that same time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I thought you were going to defend Billy Magnuson, who is also in No Time to Die. Oh, uh, no, he's like, I mean, he's not bad, but he has nothing to do. And it just and there's really nothing there. Okay. He wears a fake nose and it's a little distracting. <laughs> uh, did you ever watch Boardwalk Empire? I watched the first season of Boardwalk Empire, or maybe only the first like five episodes of Boardwalk Empire. I don't know. I couldn't get into it. If you're going to watch that show for anyone out there, watch the first two seasons and then you could skip to the final episode. Because are the first two seasons, the Michael Pitt seasons. Yes. And then they had to redo a lot of stuff because Michael Pitt got fired from the show. And then uh, not the best guy from what we've heard. According to what we heard, he's a little, you know, things have happened. Um, and then he, uh, yeah, season three and four, not so good. And then season five was good, but the finale is fantastic. And you don't actually have to see the rest of the series to actually appreciate the finale because they established the story in the first, that story in the first two seasons. Remember so, yeah. how Martin Scorsese convinced HBO to just build an entire replica of the Atlantic city boardwalk from yes. the fifties or from the thirties for uh, this yes, TV was, show? Uh, dude, I, I had my bachelor party in Atlantic city when that series premiered. <laughs> And you could not turn around without them promoting that show on the Atlantic City Boardwalk. It was everywhere. And it was a huge series for HBO in the beginning. And then when they got rid of Michael Pitt and then everything went off the rails and that thing went right down the tubes. It was always, I think it was critically acclaimed throughout its run though. I never watched it, so I couldn't really weigh in, but it it had a lot of critical defenders. HBO was really nice to pop break during those days. And they used to give us the DVD screeners of it. So I was very, I was a little partial towards it myself. Uh, One thing uh, I want to talk about, you've watched a show that everyone in the world, but me, it seems like is watching right now. And that's squid game. Yes. Uh, You've talked about it on the TV break podcast. Um, I'm going to ask you to convince me to watch this show. And it's not because I have anything against this show. It's just, I am just brain dead right now. And I have, I just like everyone's talking about it. I'm like, should I watch this show, Alex? I mean. Okay. Well, I've watched five out of nine episodes. So I'm just over the halfway mark. Mm-hmm. And what I'll tell you is that I probably don't like it as much as the people who really like it. Um, so I don't know if I'm the person to convince you to watch it. I think that it's good. It has, you know, it, it it very, the way I was talking about it with someone else recently uh, was that it really feels a lot like what Game of Thrones was like in terms of what was appealing about it, what was compelling about it, but without as much of the subversiveness that Game of Thrones uh, had when it came to tropes of the genre. So obviously people who haven't watched the show don't know a lot about it. It is not set in a medieval fantasy world with dragons and magic. It is not. So you might be saying, why would you compare it to game of Thrones? <laughs> but, I get that. It, 
But what it is, is it's this sort of like uh, sci-fi, like adjacent uh, parable sort of story about class and about like uh, social justice and uh, that all that has all of these themes inside of it. There's sort of questions of, of racism and social class and, and economic class and all of this stuff. I mean, the way in which capitalism has this kind of like corrosive effect on our morality and our humanity and stuff, but it, it paints all of this in very broad brush in the same way that uh, Game of Thrones tackled a lot of these sorts of issues of classism and, and things sure. of that nature. Uh, it, that's not necessarily an insult because it certainly helps when you paint in a broad brush. It gets a lot of uh, different people to attach themselves to the show. It brings in more people, right? Subtlety is not always the most effective form of storytelling. Um, and then it marries that with hyperviolence, which Game of Thrones often did as well. <laughs> um, and and also a penchant for like exciting cliffhangers and things of that nature. So there's a propulsiveness to the narrative. Uh, they take enough time to build characters that are easy. They use a lot of tropes and a lot of shorthand to kind of uh, uh, like give you an affinity for characters very quickly in the way that Game of Thrones was effective at doing um, because it's telling these sort of the it's using these stock characters to tell uh, a more interesting story but whereas Game of Thrones as I said often subverted those tropes and subverted those stock characters and gave you and had your expectations set and then um, surprised you with how things would go this very much doesn't do that. It just, it's surprise is built in the sort of shocking violence of it, I think. Mm. And that just, I don't know, it just doesn't really move me as much as like the actual realism of the uh, reality of what's going on in, in the real world. There's like a heightening to the sort of um, content that is less compelling to me than if we just actually saw it. Um, but that's me, you know, uh, everyone's not going to agree on that respect. Like a lot of the show is built around these people who have these insurmountable debts. Most, um, a lot of them are these kind of degenerate gamblers, right? These people who have, are kind of the quote unquote dregs of society, if you will. Um, and having just watched the Sopranos, which um, a surprising like backbone of the series is like the way in which the mob victimizes uh, chronic gamblers. Um, yeah. It's like a huge part of the show because it's a real thing that happens in the world, like in the way in which the mob functions, or at least did sure. at the time of the Sopranos. Um, and it just kind of like the Sopranos handled this stuff by basically showing you that because because these gambling addicts were willing to uh, hurt themselves, the mob felt justified to hurt them tenfold. Because if they don't respect themselves enough to tr to to protect themselves from people like us, why should we give them any sort of empathy or sympathy at all? Why shouldn't we just turn them out and make as much profit off of them as we can and and leave them as a as a husk? And the show Squid Game kind of is tackling the, the exact same type of subject matter of like, well, if these people are, are not respecting themselves, if they're so compulsive in their behavior, if they are for some reason at the bottom of the economic ladder, and of course, because we live in a mer uh, meritocracy, they must be there for a good reason, then we don't need to respect them, we can treat their life as trivial, and we can have them compete like animals. Um, that's just a heightened version of what The Sopranos is doing in a lot more interesting and compelling ways because it's much more real and therefore you can see 
your like the actual humanity in it. You don't need to have this heightened reality in order right. to access. And so that's kind of I feel like I'm maybe it was it was not the best thing for me to watch The Sopranos right before watching Squid Game because it's just like I don't know like if you want to watch a show about how corrosive and toxic capitalism is, you can't do any better than The Sopranos. So and and. And there's also hyperviolence in The Sopranos too, but it's by yeah. but like it's real people. It's not people wearing masks looking like minions, you know. Like <laughs> you know, yeah. so I don't know. I, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of the show. It's not bad. It's certainly it's entertaining. It's it's enough to get you through episode to episode. There's, there's the car. There are some likable performances and and um, people that you want to spend time with and and uh, yeah. But I don't know. I definitely. I don't love it the way that a lot of people love it. I'll say that much. All right. That's I listen. I've heard nothing but like everyone just dying over it. And everyone, you know, you, you go out and hear the, the everyday person say, Oh, squid game. And I'm like, Alex will give me an honest opinion. So. <laughs> well, and again, I think that it's be- it's it's similar to why Game of Thrones was so appealing because sure. there's this base level of entertainment and of hyperviolence that is shocking and repulsive <sighs> but exciting, and you mix that with these sort of like very broad strokes like commentary on society and interacting with very easily accessible character types. And you get a show that a lot of people are going to like a lot. Oh, but, it's, um, it's the landing better and, than Game of Thrones did. <laughs> yes, that is true. People seem to really like the ending. I haven't watched it yet, so I can't weigh in. Um, and I should say, like, the stuff that I just said that it does well is not easy to do by any means. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, it's just not the most interesting kind of story for me personally. So Cool, man. So... We're going to get into, we're going to kind of wind it down a little bit uh, because we are still talking about the fall and hopefully next episode I'll be having a, we'll be doing, bringing a whole bunch of horror people on. Alex, before we started the podcast, you and I both were like, yeah, neither one of us are big horror guys. I'm not, I I didn't really watch horror movies till met my wife who was like, you are going to watch these movies with me because I am going to watch. So, you know. I got the crash course in, and of course, I'll never forget the time I watched uh, par- the first Paranormal Activity, and my wife and I were asleep in my apartment in uh, down the shore. And all of a sudden, the minute she would talk in her sleep sometimes, and she started <laughs> laughing uncontrollably in her sleep, and I could not sleep because I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm going to die. Uh, this is what happens. Uh, yeah, that's not yeah. great. No, but I, 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 am- I saw the first paranormal activity in theaters while I was in college and it was in a sold out screening. There was literally, there had to have been at least 200 people in the theater. It was like a very large Manhattan screening and it was completely silent the entire time, which is really for that movie. It just incredible. Uh, Cause there is so much like where it's just nothing is happening. You're just watching a screen silently waiting to see something happen. And then suddenly it'll move slightly and you're like, Oh my God. And it was just, you could hear a pin drop and it was really remarkable. I didn't think we were going to get a crowd like that because I just thought, well, how could it possibly, but it did. And it was really, it was an incredible experience. I would have rather taken that experience than mine. Um, (laughs) So for me, uh, let's talk about some of our movies we like to watch during Halloween or horror movie, like horror movies, Halloween related movies. I'm going to throw one out there that isn't, that's scary, but I really like it because it really fits the season. And that's Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. It's a movie I've been a big fan of for a long time. Have you ever seen it? I have. I when Blank Check podcast Blank Check, who uh, is I've heard. a, a podcast keeps, that I really enjoy. Yeah, everyone keeps recommending it to me. I know. 
or how did this get uh, they, made? Both of them. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't listened to Blank Check, they're the, what they do is they basically take a, a filmmaker who has had massive success early on and has been given a series of blank checks to fend crazy passion projects. Um, and so what they do is they take a filmmaker like Tim Burton and they just do an episode of for every single one of their film releases in chronological order and they just kind of like dissect it and like see the arc of the career. Um, and so when they did that for Tim Burton, I did watch Sleepy Hollow for the first time and I did not like it. So I'm very interested to hear what you liked about it. <laughs> I mean, I liked everything about it, to be honest with you. I liked the fact okay. I mean, as a kid, I grew up with the Disney Ichabod Crane cartoon. Mm -hmm. And so I was very into the fact they took the Ichabod Crane character and made him a detective, like a like an early, you know, post-revolutionary war type uh forensic detective and set him in this fantastical world that the way they created the world of sleepy hollow being like an homage to the fifties horror movies and in many ways, making it very Gothic and over the top. And um, I really just, it's just this movie. Like I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was unique. Um, it's ex it, like when I watched it for the first time, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty exciting to watch it. I was like, wow, like there's, there's some like intrigue to it. And um Overall, I just I like the chemistry between. I know not the most popular actor these days for many real good reasons, Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. Um, I just really liked it. I just and it's something I tried. I, mean, I haven't got back to it, but like for Halloween, I really enjoy watching that movie and that. And I'll go with another Tim Burton one. The um, and again, not the scariest movie, but Love Nightmare Before Christmas because my kid's a big fan of it. Thanks Google for blasting a notification to me podcast um just love it it's just such a great movie uh, it's just like a great story the music's great and it's as my daughter told me dad it's the perfect movie because i can watch it for halloween and for christmas so those are two i go with uh and if i had to go with a real horror movie i'm not gonna go with a movie i'll go with the mike flanagan shows like the haunting of hill house bly manor and now midnight mass those are legitimately great stories i think that are scary as hell but also yeah. talk about a lot of real, relatable, powerful issues like trauma, addiction, um, the afterlife, the existence of God, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I'm uh, I'm a big fan of those. And they are genuinely spine chilling for me. Again, I could think back of some scenes, especially in Hill House, where I think of them and I'm just like sitting there. And I could like the bent neck lady and stuff like that. And of course, the... Um, uh, the one scene with the brother, was it Oliver Cohen? Is that his name? Oliver Jackson Cohen? I think so, yeah. Yeah, he's walking down the street and there's a, a, a figure with a bowler hat following him. And every time he stops, it gets closer and closer and closer. And it's just the tension in that scene. I, I'm just getting chills on my arms right now thinking of that because it's just so goddamn frightening. And um those are what I would recommend. If you really want something scary, watch the Mike Flanagan series on Netflix, especially I'd love to midnight mass a lot. I don't know if you watch that yet, Alex, but um, I, it's on my list to catch up with, but everything had to be put on hold while I crammed as much Sopranos into my brain to. as possible. So yes, now I'm slowly to. catching up. <laughs> it's still, it's very Catholic. So you'll, you'll still get a lot of that from the Sopranos. So you'll have as a nice yes. little like that, but you're, you're not a horror guy like me. 
I so, am, I am, yeah, I am also not a horror guy. I just, I had to look it up to see if what my, um, what my Sleepy Hollow review on Letterbox was. It sucks. Um, <laughs> And, and well, this is what I wrote because I'm just such an asshole. I said, a well-crafted film that occasionally intrigued me enough to care. <laughs> hey, man. Two that's and a half the, stars. <laughs> hey, listen, that's not the worst review I've ever heard about. Uh, it's, I'm such a jerk. Um, the, the Tim Burton uh, filmography watch was kind of a draining experience. There's there's good movies in there, but there's also a lot of kind of not yeah. good movies. So, there are. Um, I agree. I was I was getting burnt out probably by the time I got there. But yeah, Mike Flanagan is a director whose films I have not seen any of, I believe. I haven't seen yes, have. VHS or Trick or Treat. I haven't seen Doctor um, Sleep. Sleep. Are you doing Doctor have- Sleep? Nope, I did not. But I have seen all. I have seen his two Netflix shows. I watched them last year, and they both were very, very impactful for me because what he's so good at doing is using horror to tell these incredibly emotionally accessible stories of trauma, um, and that is something that I can latch into in a way that a lot of horror films don't always work for me because they're mostly just about being scared. And I don't like the feeling of being scared, Bill. I really nope, don't. Do I don't I. enjoy feeling anxious. I don't enjoy. St- staring at a screen being like, what's going to happen next? Because you know what? I got a lot of anxiety in my own life and I don't need to go to a movie to feel that way. I can do that all by myself, just laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling. So I don't need that from a horror movie. <laughs> but I, a horror movie that's about processing trauma and and mental stress and and legacy of, of, of family dysfunction, all of that I can actually deal with because there's a catharsis at the end of it. And that's really powerful. And I think the Mike Flanagan stuff is really testament to that because you talk about something like the bent, na- the bent neck lady, right? I Such a scary that. image, right? It's yeah. well deployed. But then when you find out what it is like the solution to the mystery of it it's so much more devastating and emotionally impactful than yeah. what than the than the scares the legitimately quality scares that he gets out of it initially so that's the sort of uh, horror film that really speaks to me the most and what i really like and that's why movies like uh, the babadook for example or hereditary those are mov- or or the witch those are movies that really work for me as horror films because they're about they are about uh horrific things but oftentimes the emotional undercurrent that they're that they're dealing with is is more impactful than any of the 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 cheap scares that uh that you get along the way yeah so if you're coming if you're coming for horror movie recommendations or horror recommendations and you're looking for the classics maybe alex and i aren't the best people to deal with with that (laughs) although you know what it was pretty good later was classic i put in quotes I did like Poltergeist, the original Poltergeist. I thought was good because that dealt with that dealt with a lot with family and you know gentrification and suburban you know a lot of stuff. The one from like 2015. Oh, that was a piece of shit. <laughs> I saw that. That was fucking garbage. Uh, no, the Craig T. Nelson one from yeah. the 80s. That yeah. was. I thought that was very good. I thought it was very. I good. never. I've never seen it. I can't say I have. Um, it holds up. You know how some stuff from you know the seventies and eighties, especially with horror and the supernatural, you're just like this did not hold. This I get it why it worked then, but no, I think the the polter, poltergeist, the first one, not the other ones. They're God, a tequila worm come to life and tries to eat somebody. Yeah, that's not exactly. That's just comedy to me. Um, I will say though, I watched and it's gone. It's not on HBO Max anymore. It's it's now it's it's now taking a break. It'll be back there eventually. But I did watch Malignant, James Wan's Malignant, before it left HBO Max uh, Max last I week. Like, hated that she's like that movie was i 
thought it was pretty fun. I will say it's I really once I figured out what it was going for and what it was doing, I thought it was pretty entertaining. Not like my favorite movie. Definitely. Like I have a list of like my 10 favorite scare quote unquote scary movies since 2010. Wouldn't make that list. I, I think that it is, you know, it's it's a bit junky in a lot of respects, but it also is has some pretty compelling filmmaking uh, just in terms of camera work and things like that that James Wan does. And it's just very silly um, and just goes for it in a way that you kind of have to respect. So I I thought it was fun. I it was I I am not the person who typically would be like, yeah, this is so silly, it's fun. Like that's not how I react to most horror movies, but it did it got me. I was I was on board. So if you're looking for something silly and fun, maybe try to find that playing someplace or rent it somewhere. Cause that's 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 the only horror movie that I've seen this year. So let's we'll say that. But a horror movie from last year, I mean, yeah. not really a horror film, horror film, but it definitely is a suspense supernatural thriller, if you will. It's called uh, The Vast of Night, which is on Amazon. It's kind of like a an alien abduction sort of situation, but it t- it's set in the 1950s, and it's these, like, two teenagers who kind of, like, who work at this radio station and at night in this small town in middle America, and they co- sort of get caught up in this mystery of, like, are there aliens in the town, like, above, like, floating above the town? Like, have they abducted people before? What's going on tonight? And it's all kind of told of this one night it's got really really snappy dialogue really great great filmmaking from kind of like a first-time filmmaker really really worth the watch it it taught it made it into a lot of top 10 top 20 lists at the end of last year um and i just really would recommend it it's it's one of those movies that it just starts and you're just like oh i'm just entirely in a whole different place right now it's just like it just it shoots out of the out of the canon in a really powerful way and you just really you get sucked in really quickly so i definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't seen it what's the name of that one again the vast of night and it's streaming on amazon prime right now Nice. All right, we're gonna we're gonna close it up. We had a, we had a nice hang here, but Alex, before we go, why don't you give us a pop culture recommendation for the for for our vast listening audience for people to check out something you enjoyed, whether it be new or old, and non soprano. Uh, well, I'm gonna just like call my shot now and say go oh, watch yeah. Succession. Uh, I have not seen the premiere yet because I'm not lucky enough to have screeners, but um. The first two seasons are excellent. Everyone I know has watched them now twice, basically, because they slowly got on board over the last like year and a half and now have been rewatching it ahead of this the third season. And there's just no doubt in my mind that the third season isn't going to be excellent. So okay. everyone should definitely like catch up and then watch season three. If you haven't watched season one or two, do it. So fun, so funny. It's the best drama on television. It's the best comedy on television. It's got excellent acting. It's got like amazing uh, cinematography and like uh, production design and just really, really fun and powerful and excellent. It's just excellent. It's it's the best uh, returning show on television right now. And it's coming back this Sunday. So everyone should check it out. I think it's going to be a massive success for HBO this year because, like you said, over the past year or so, that show has caught on with so many more people, not just Matt Taylor, so many more people. (laughs) Our former TV editor, Matt Taylor, who just banged the drum for that show from the jump. And I think a lot of people have converted to that show, have watched and love it. Um, And 
especially, you know, the advent of HBO Max. It's like, hey, we're all working from home. We're all staying at home. Let's watch something. And Succession was one of those big shows. I think season three is going to be a massive success for them, both critically and from an audience standpoint. For me, I'm going to make Alex laugh with this pick. Um, and it's Muppets Haunted Mansion. I watched that on my own. And Alex, I don't know if you read my review, but I did cop to the fact that I gushed about Muppets now about a year ago. And guess what, guys? That show does not hold up. It was not as good as I thought it did. I it thought it doesn't was. hold up. What do you? It's only a year old. <laughs> I know, but it's like upon rewatch, it's just like ah, it was. It wasn't as good, you know. That it was just that rush of hey, the Muppet Show is back. Oh, great! Yeah. And you know, you take the rose-colored glasses off and say it was. It was perfectly fine. Here's the thing with this one. I think that Disney did something very smart with the Muppets, which is uh, a rare thing for me to say. Is they did what the Muppets have had success with with this with that franchise is drop it in existing IP. They dropped it essentially in the world of the Haunted Mansion ride. So nice synergy there. And it basically is a 50 minute special. It's fun. Uh, the celebrate, it doesn't feel, the jokes don't feel forced and like dad jokes, like a lot of the other stuff. It doesn't feel like we're trying to reboot them up. It's like the, the Muppet movie or the Muppet series or Muppets now did. It's just like, Hey, here's a story. We're going to have two main characters. It's Gonzo and Pepe the prawn. They're going to go into the haunted mansion. There'll be cameos from some celebrities. There'll be cameos from the other Muppets. And it'll just be, we're going to go through this and they'll make, they pay homage, homage to the ride itself. So they're very true to it. There's some good jokes in there. So some songs, some nice cameos. Is Eddie Murphy in it? Eddie Murphy is not in it. But my former, but former Rutgers alum, uh, Katie Dippold, who wrote The Heat, and I believe she was involved in Spy, is writing the next version of it. And I can't remember who's there's a I think Tiffany Haddish is attached to the new one, but there's a lot of um, cameos in there. There's cameos from Darren Chris and John Stamos, Will Arnett, uh, Taraji P. Henson, um, a couple others. This I don't is like a very random collection of celebrities. It very much is, but it works and it's fun. It's just a fun, breezy Halloween special. It I'm not saying this is reinventing the Muppets or it's going to be what brings them, puts them on the map, but it's just like, Hey, if you enjoy the Muppets and you want something nice and fun and something for Halloween season, it's a perfectly fun watch. Well, I'm very happy for you, Bill, because I know you have a lot invested in the Muppets and I, I'm glad they're giving you something that you can actually appreciate. That The whole thing was every time you see a Muppets thing, it's like we're rebooting the Muppets and making, putting them back in the mainstream. And here's a whole bunch of cameos. It didn't feel like that this time. Did so. you like the Jason Siegel Muppets movie? No. Oh, I did like that. I liked I that didn't, a lot. I Amy didn't. Adams is just transcendent in well, that movie. Yes. Well, that's the, these that's that's just the fact. She's yeah. great in pretty much everything. And but for me it was like it got a little too I think that towards the end it fell apart where it's just like here's all, let's get all this rush all these celebrity cameos in. We're going to try and redo the theater. I'm just like, I just, it just fell apart for me in the end. I didn't even watch Muppets Most Wanted. I, I was like, I have no I, No one did. No, no one I know did they didn't at all. <laughs> I did watch, we did, re, I was part of the review team for the, the sitcom. And that was. Oh no. At times. <laughs> like I said before, when they fired, they fired the showrunner. And then you could tell it was a different show when they came back from their mid-season finale. But by then it was too late. They did. They they started finding their footing by the time they got canceled, and it was that show came out in like what, like 2016, 2017? 14, I think. I want to say 14. No, no, it wasn't that early. 
Well, we're now going to find out live on the podcast. While Bill looks that up, I just wanted to say that the reason why I'm bringing that question to the floor is because it was the whole premise of that sitcom is like, what if the Muppets, but the office? Yeah, it's 2015. So it was right between where we said, yeah, it was like, yeah, the, it was the it was the Muppets with the office. And that and and worked. it just did incredibly absurdly dated like concepts to do in the first place. Like what in 2015, people are like, oh, what if the office like, no, that is I mean, maybe now because the office now has a weird nostalgia amongst teenagers for some reason that I don't understand. But um, <laughs> that's but we weren't there in 2015. So just no, like, right just, in the middle of a dead yeah zone of office content the, yeah the office was like going off the air and people were like good and yeah it just never worked but this was like, like this is just like fun like it'll never touch like muppets christmas carol which is a great i think it's a great film but this was just like hey a fun halloween special with the muppets and like it doesn't it just is breezy and that's and it's under an hour so that's my recommendation so so alex where can people find you on social media. I know you've plugged your letterbox, but plug all the other stuff you're doing. Yeah. So in addition to letterbox at media thinkings, you can also follow me on Twitter at media thinkings. Uh, you can follow my aforementioned film podcast, cinema Joe's on Twitter at cinema Joe's and subscribe to it at all the usual subscription places. Uh, recently we just released our 2020 fall preview. So if you've been enjoying, um, our conversations about what to look forward to for the fall in this episode, uh, you can have a much more in-depth conversation about fall movie season on that podcast. I promise I am excited for things on that i'm not saying that everything sucks <laughs> um, uh, we're very excited for wes anderson so let's yes okay that's fair <laughs> i feel like i i don't i don't want to be like a total wet blanket on this podcast but i'm i'm very enthusiastic about lots of things on the fall preview you were so. you were enthusiastic about so much hawkeye okay. this it was just what we got to do and you and i are both like ah, maybe <laughs> maybe not <laughs> But um, in addition to that episode, um, in the coming weeks, we're going to be doing um, some reviews of classic films like On the Waterfront and Magnolia and The Big Sleep with um, some fun guests. Uh, and we're also going to be reviewing some new uh, show, uh, new films like, as I said, Dune and the French Dispatch and also Spider-Man No Way Home at the end of the year. So very excited about all of those things. Uh, in addition to that, you can um, follow the podcasts that I'm supervising over on thepopbreak.com. You can click on the podcast tab to see all the latest episodes, including the show that I host with Bill called TV Break. Uh, we also have Blurred Watchers. We have Live, Laugh, and Lovey covering uh, Married at First Sight and the return of their Insecure coverage, which we're all very excited to hear with the final season of Insecure coming. Um, Roses and Rejections are going to be getting back into the new season of The Bachelor soon. We've got the Anniversary Brothers. we got Goodbye to All That. Michael T. Ford III has been doing a great job, great job. Um, since I uh, bequeathed this show to him. Um, over that all of those shows are on Pop Break TV. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Breakcast uh, podcast feed where you can check out music podcasts uh, hosted by Luke Martin called Talking Nakoda, where he talks about a, uh, a musician whose career ended prematurely with a special guest. Um, we also have a um, very cool uh, podcast uh, by Sam Niles called uh, Marshall's Movies, where uh, a very a tragic thing happened to our friend Sam. Uh, one of his very close friends, Marshall, passed away last year, and uh, he ended up in possession of Marshall's uh, very... Uh, 
a significant film collection and he is going through once a month with a friend or uh, of Marshall's to talk about one of the films in that uh, collection and, and reflect a little bit about his, his friend as well. It's a very special podcast um, that first episode came out last month. I'm very excited for people to check that out. Um, also, we have uh, This Wrestling Life when Bill feels like doing it. So, you know, that's also over there on the broadcast. Hey, I just posted a second episode recently. So and now, yeah. so yeah, we did that. Um, and if you're going to follow me on Twitter, if you must, I am I, at Bodkin writes W R I T E S, which mostly just wrestling stuff and retweets from and posts from the pop which of course this is the flagship podcast of we're talking every single day. We're talking movies, music, um, television, pro wrestling, video games, anime, comic books, digital trends, all sorts of great stuff. We had a Facebook page, but that's up in limbo now. So follow us more importantly on Twitter at the pop break and on Instagram at the pop break, where we have a lot of great photos that came up, uh, which we're shooting safely from shows all over. We just uh, posted stuff from see here. Now we just went to uh, governor's ball. So you'll see artists like Pearl jam and Billy Eilish, Jay Balvin and post Malone. We just shot St. Vincent at the Met in Philly um so yeah we have a lot of cool stuff up there of course check out all the podcasts on apple google anchor anchor and spotify we also have two oscar uh two film podcasts and the winner still is uh which is our retro oscar podcast and the way too early oscar podcast which i'm sure we'll be getting an episode of that shortly um so yes for alex marcus uh, my name is bill bodkin thanks for coming out on this hangout podcast we'll see you next week on the socially distanced podcast <laughs>